Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hopefully Sustainable. I hope that you all are having a wonderful week, and thank you so much for choosing to join me for another episode of the podcast. Today, we are going to have a very interesting episode that's going to focus on the intersection of women's health and sustainability, and specifically around the subject of periods. I've been really interested in doing an episode on this topic because I felt like it was an area of sustainability that I could personally learn more about myself. I recently stumbled upon Madeline's episode from her own podcast, The Wise Consumer, that was titled, Why I'm Glad to Be a Woman Who Menstruates in the 21st Century. And wow, after listening to that episode, I had no idea how much there was to learn about periods. Madeline did loads of research, and she walks through the history of the modern-day period products that we now use today and goes back all the way to what the Egyptians used and how that all developed into the modern-day tampon and pads that we're all familiar with. In addition to the history Madeline also, from her own experiences and own research, gives a lot of different options that women can use nowadays if they want to try and introduce sustainability into this aspect of their lives. So in today's episode, I am going to have Madeline give us a quick recap of that history that she goes through in her own podcast episode, and Madeline is going to encourage all of us to start discovering what new and reusable and sustainable products that we could try to introduce into our lives if we are interested in trying to make our periods more sustainable. I learned so much from this conversation and it's honestly one of my favorite episodes that I've done so far. I had so much fun with Madeline, I learned so much, so I really hope that you all can take something away from this episode as well. Unfortunately, I feel like nowadays there is still a big stigma around women's health issues and periods, so I think that Madeline is doing amazing work to share her own story, her own struggles with her health, and I think that's really going to shine a spotlight and really just open up the conversation around different aspects of women's health. The episode actually personally opened up a conversation for me with my own great-grandmother around the first time that she got her period and what products she had to use growing up. It's just really an interesting conversation to have with the women in your life because every woman's story is different and it's a really interesting way to connect with other women in your lives. Get ready to learn way more than you ever thought you could learn about the history of period products and about our periods in the modern day. I hope that you all really enjoy this episode, and I'm so excited for you to meet Madeline. Let's get started. 
Hi, Madeline. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I've been really interested in doing an episode on women's health and the intersection of sustainability with our periods. And I recently found your podcast episode that you came out with titled, Why I'm Grateful to Be a Woman Who Menstruates in the 21st Century. And this episode just blew my mind. So I'm really looking forward to diving into the episode with you and learning all about sustainable periods. So before I give away too much, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, Jacob, thanks so much for having me. And um, I was just telling Jacob before, I was like, it's funny, this is my first interview where I'm being interviewed and I'm talking about period products, which is like, as you'll find out, I'm obsessed with periods and hormones right now. Like, <laughs> it is like my go-to. Um, so thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this chat because, you know, I love talking about periods. Um, such a weird thing to say, and I never thought I would be saying that. But um, yeah, so what do you, where to start? Um, so let me share a little bit about who I am. Um, I'll start with about... Three years ago, I quit my job. I was working for the Navy. Um, at the time, I was working as a video producer, content creator, PR specialist on their energy security campaign. And during this energy security campaign, um, I got to chat with so many scientists and engineers and leadership um, indiv individuals with leadership positions within the Navy and the, and the military on energy security. And that's when I really realized, like, I love chatting with people. I love understanding how things work. I love helping the top-notch brains bring it down a notch so that the like, you know, like making energy security understandable for dummies. That's mm -hmm. like, I love it. And with the change in administration, unfortunately, the position was coming to a close. And they're like, well, we can have you do X, Y, or Z. And I was like, no, I really want to continue doing interviews and, and exploring different topics that I'm passionate about, such as energy security, climate change, environmental conservation. And at the same time, I was also diagnosed with a random autoimmune condition um, mm -hmm. that affected my skin. So while I was working for my Navy job and exploring environmental conservation and climate change, I was also on a personal health journey, trying to understand why my skin was responding to what I was eating, what was the cause behind this inflammation. Um, and that's when I discovered like what you eat, what you put on your skin, how you take care of yourself, all like the whole kit caboodle impacts, you know, your overall health. So when my boss was like, well, we can make you do something else that I said, you know what, I'm actually going to go down this path and focus more on environmental stuff that I am passionate about and also health and, you know, um, skincare and all the things that I'm really passionate about. And that led me to launching the wise consumer. And that was about two and a half years ago. Um, so I'm going to fast forward really quickly. So through the, through that time, I was kind of trying to figure out how do you podcast? How do you create a blog? How do you, you, you know, who do you reach out to trying to kind of find my niche and my voice? Um, and I'm going to fast forward. So about almost a little bit less than a year ago, I had a miscarriage, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I will be doing an episode on my podcast about. But what I realized as I was transitioning and trying to understand what was happening with my body, I realized there's all this information around hormone health and menstruation that women were just not taught this information. We are just, there's just so much that I learned that I'm like, why was this not taught to me when I was like 15? 16, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
I, I, I knew none of this. I knew none of like having a period shouldn't be painful. You know, I didn't know like certain foods could affect how you responded to certain things, just so much that I was learning. And this kind of kind of shifted everything to where I am now with season three of the podcast, which, which ties in environmental conservation, sustainability, but also women's health. And that's why I did the podcast on period products, because I thought it was important as I, I'm a huge nerd about zero waste stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do like zero waste period products. That'll be a great episode. And as I was doing it, I was like, you know what, like the nerd in me, again, going back to being curious, I was like, what did women even do back in the day for their periods? Like, what did Egyptians do? Like, obviously women have been having periods since the beginning of time where we would <laughs> be here, you know, half the world is having a period, you know, so what have people done throughout history? And that's what kind of led me to developing and um, creating that, that episode. Well, first, I just want to say what an incredible example of just going for what you're passionate about and following your dreams. So that's really cool to see where that has taken you and into your podcast and the wise consumer. And then second off, I'm really sorry about your miscarriage. And I just think it's really amazing that you are sharing your story with all of the listeners. And unfortunately, there is still a stigma around a lot of issues and a lot of things that women deal with on a daily basis. So I think it's really important that you are having these conversations and it's just going to lead to bringing even more light into this topic. This episode was so interesting that you talked about and that's what got me really interested in this conversation and wanting to have you on the podcast. So you hit on it a little bit, but can you just tell us what really inspired this episode and how did you even go about looking into the history of what women have gone through since the beginning of time in regards to their period? Yeah. So what inspired the episode? I, you know, as I mentioned, I had suffered the miscarriage. So I've been, I've been looking into hormone health for a while. Um, but I've also been on a zero waste, what I prefer calling low waste journey for mm -hmm. about two years now as well. Um, so honestly, it's like a perfect symbiosis of my two passions, um, living environmentally, you know, consciously, and also taking care of your, your hormone health and understanding how your body works as a, as a, as a woman or an individual. Um, so when, let's see, um, when I started working on this zero waste thing, I was just going a uh, zero waste um, podcast. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to write eco-friendly ways that you can have a period. And as I was researching this, as I mentioned, I was just like, well, what did women do back in the day? So I just went down this rabbit hole where I was just literally spending hours researching old publication, old reviews, old reports, old scientific findings um, to help me understand this. Um, and then I just kind of pieced the two together. Yeah, well, this episode walks through the entire history of how women have dealt with periods since the beginning of time and kind of walks through the invention of the period products that we have today. So I wanted to ask you if you can give us a brief recap or give us some insight into the episode that you had on your podcast, which I mentioned it's called Why I'm Grateful to Be a Woman Who Menstruates in the 21st Century which after listening to the episode, I completely agree with because I can't imagine dealing with what the women back then dealt with and just hearing the crazy theories that men had around periods that you found out through your research was really interesting to hear. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, we today complain a lot about like, well, or not complain is the wrong word, but we're like, you should have a zero waste period. You should try to do this and you should try to do that. Or there's plastic in this. But the reality is like, dude, we are so lucky to even be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, as I mentioned in my episode and what I've come, what I've learned through my research is that a lot of women throughout time, like, I mean, if you look at the, one of the things I didn't mention, but like even in Versailles, the court of Versailles, you know, the king, like women didn't wear underwears at the time. They just wore like what they called chemises and they would just bleed in their chemises. Mm. Um, you had women, when you think about it, like what were women during the Egyptian or the, the Roman times or the, what were Grecian women doing? And honestly, not much is actually recorded from a woman's perspective, if anything. Um, but what research has found from my gathering is that women were most likely using wool or they were taking linen and folding it and using that. Egyptians apparently were also using papyrus and softening it up and using that as a tampon. Um, Whether or not this is all true, this is all very theoretical because again, nothing has really been written from a woman's perspective. And as I mentioned in my episode, men weren't really going to be writing about like men's season and everything because there was a like, it was a taboo and it was still a taboo topic. Like even my grandmother, as I mentioned, like she would be mortified that I'm talking about menstrual, my mm-hmm. menstruation, like in publicly, it was still a taboo topic until a few years ago. And even still today, you're not going to go to a cocktail party and be like, oh man, my period's really bad. Like anyone got us, I got a heavy flow today. Like <laughs> just don't talk like that, you know, and that's for reasons, you know? Um, so So I think we're really lucky. I think that's the one thing I want to preface this by is that we're really lucky. Yes, some of the period products we have today, you know, are plastic. We could talk about whether there are chemicals in them well, or if they're toxic Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hyphens here, but um, quotation marks. But we're really lucky because we have access to these things that are hygienic. Women in the past did not have access to these things. They use, you know, rags or clouts as they were called. And oftentimes if someone was even unable to buy food and and she, you know, and I say she, because a lot of the the history focused on a very gender, gender, you know, focused. Okay. Um, But, you know, if they didn't have food, you know, or they were poor, the last thing they were going to try to figure out was like, oh, do I have extra rags? So that's why they would often bleed in their chemises. And it wasn't until like the 1800s that people started realizing like, okay, this may actually not be that hygienic. Um, and that came with Louis Pasteur who developed, you know, he developed the germ theory. And then we realized like, okay, this is how bacteria works. Like that was like 1880s. That's not that long ago. It's yeah. really not that long ago that we started realizing like how bacteria, how viruses work. Um, and so that inspired Lister, Joseph Lister, who was the first guy who developed like antiseptics and how that works to use, um, to, to disinfect things. And Lister inspired Johnson and Johnson who founded the first disposable period products. But as I mentioned in the episode, it was a complete flop because as I mentioned, it's super not, it's super taboo to talk about these things. So women just did not want to, to go into a store and purchase. It was just not done at the time. So they created this product. And as you're saying, women just didn't want to buy it because they didn't want to have to go into the store and face the embarrassment at that time that a lot of them faced in asking for the product. Right. And they actually had this thing. um, They would have this box where you could just 
put in like your money for the product and just take it without even interacting with the male clerk because most of them were male clerks at the time. So right. it was just a women just didn't talk about that stuff. And, and, and it just, it just wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to find a product that would work if it wasn't talked about, you know? Yeah. So what was the actual first successful product that came to help women with their periods? So in the 1900s, this is actually really interesting. I found this to be interesting at least. Um, during World War I, Kimberly Clark developed what's known as cellucotton, and that was used as bandages um, you know, for the wounded and all that stuff. It was super absorbent and really cheap to make, or at least five times cheaper to make than cotton from what I've gathered. But what they found was that nurses were also using it as sanitary pads. So following the war, um, this, I don't know how, or, you know, some report, someone sent something to um, Kimberly Clark, letting him know like, hey, by the way, these, these nurses are using your, your, um, your bandages as sanitary pads. And mm-hmm. obviously being a business, they were like, well, I think there's a business opportunity here. So they yep. started <laughs> creating these disposable pads their conundrum of course because you know if johnson and johnson had created what they called lister's towels at the time that was the flop that i mentioned here just previously um what they wanted to figure out was like well how can we get women to purchase these um in a way that will be successful for us to market these so they developed what's known as cotex instead of labeling it labeling them as sanitary pads they labeled them as cotex which is cotton-like texture um, and from there, they went ahead and um, that was that was the beginning of where we are today. So was that at that time, was plastic being incorporated into feminine products yet or did that come at a later time? Yeah, plastics weren't included. And that goes back to even the tampon was developed by Earl Haas, Cleveland in the 1930s. Um, so they were just using cotton at the time, cotton and cardboard. He used cardboard for his tampon applicator. Um, by the 1960s, when plastic started becoming a thing, you know, plastic manufacturers were like, where else can we use this, you know, amazing, innovative material. And that's when they started incorporating it into um, tampons and into pads. And I don't want to like bash that because if you think about it, like people were using sanitary belts in the 60s, people were, you know, um, and I don't even know everything about like what women were using in the 60s and 50s. That wasn't where I I, I focused as much. Okay. My guess is they were still using reusable stuff, um, but um, or disposable. But um, I don't want to bash it because like it, it did make some huge changes for us in the way that we even have products today. Today, you know, our pads are more flexible. They're more absorbent. They have the wings. Like that wasn't a thing until like the 1970s that wings, you know, the things that fold around your underwear to hold it. So you don't need to use a sanitary belt or you don't need to pin it in your underwear. Um, those are an awesome changes and innovations that were made for us. So one reason nowadays that women are switching to these more sustainable products or reusable products is due to the environmental impact. Can you talk a little bit about what the environmental impact of these products is and why you think women are starting to try to be more aware of that and try to reduce their waste, at least in that area of their lives? Yeah, the environmental impact is actually really what led me to reusable 
Um, so according to naturecare.com, I, I know this only because I researched it. That sounds like an encyclopedia recording. <laughs> according to naturecare.com, tampons <laughs> or pads have are made of 90% plastic. And wow. while people try have tried to like, oh, well, is it really 90%? Like how much plastic is actually in it? There's no real way of knowing because they don't disclose that kind of stuff. And, okay. but eufactcheck.eu um, has actually said that it most likely, you know, it may not be 90%, but a large component of pads are made of plastic. The problem with this, of course, is that plastic doesn't biodegrade. You know, it'll sit there. I mean, it may eventually, but it takes about 500, 800 years for plastic to decompose and to biodegrade. So think about... I mean, I, for your listeners, think about the first pad you used ever. Think about the tampon you used two months ago. Think about, you know, it's, it, it's, it's there. It's going to be there a while. <laughs> it's there. It's not going anywhere. Not for another 800 years, if we're lucky, you know, and the way, you know, landfills work and, and decompose. So that really right there is a startling, like, ugh, fact to me that, made me want to shift over. And the thing is when you do beach cleanups or, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go to the beach, you see tampon applicators on the beach, you go to beach cleanups. One beach cleanup was in New Jersey and they found a thousand applicators, tampon applicators, you know, they actually call them toy whistles. Like it's, it's just, that's how much plastic is just found around the world. And, um, in beach cleanups and that kind of stuff. And then it ends up in the ocean. And just a fun fact or quick tip for everyone listening, do not flush your tampons. Do not flush them. They end up in sewers and in our waterways. Throw them away. Yeah, that was a startling thing that I found in your blog post about the episode was that in Europe, a lot of people flush them down the toilet. And I did an episode in my first season on reusable cotton swabs, the last object brand. And that was another thing that they talked about was that there is a big issue with people flushing the cotton swabs down the toilet. So it is really incredible to think about walking along the beach and you see these cotton swabs that have been used and these tampon applicators that have been flushed down the toilet. And it really just shows there's no really throwing it away or going away. It's going to end up somewhere. Right, right. And when you think about your period products, to me, that's just like, it's like diapers. Although, you know, that's a whole other conversation because I realized motherhood is a challenge in itself. And like, you know, I have a sister who suffered from, you know, um, postpartum anxiety. And like the last thing you're going to do is diaper change, you know, with reusable, et cetera. So that's another, that's another thing, but it's the same concept. You have these plastic materials that aren't decomposing with like human waste or human, you know, with your period blood, you know. So another reason that I know women are looking more into this topic and thinking of switching to reusable products is because of the potential health impacts or potential negative health impacts from the products that we're using. Potentially they have chemicals in them and we're putting that inside of us. So can you talk about um, this reason and some of the health concerns that surround the typical period products that women use? Yeah, so I may not actually have the answer everyone wants to hear from our niche because this is, there are two sides to every argument. And what I found, and I had a cosmetic chemist on the podcast not long, on my podcast not long ago, and I've been really trying to look at both sides, okay? So the FDA, if you look at, and I didn't talk about this in the episode because it was just too, it was going to be too much, but what I've come to gather 
dioxins, you have chlorine, um, you have pesticides, uh, you know, all of these things is like, I'm going to call it an R niche in the clean beauty, natural eco niche. Mm -hmm. Those are all in products and we all claim that they're really bad and shouldn't be there. Do I agree with that? Absolutely. I agree that we shouldn't have those kind of ingredients and um, chemicals in our products, especially since we're putting them so close to our feminine parts. Um, But I will also say the FDA has, you know, regulated this and said that really everything in these products is safe to use. And if they are found here, here's the other thing. When we talk about like, you want to look for chlorine free, apparently from what I gathered was like in the nineties, all of these brands and manufacturers were, they changed the way they process this because they realized like, Oh, if we use chlorine, chlorine gas is what they were using to clean out the fibers. Well then, yeah, which bleaches it, then yeah, that is going to create, you know, an, an emit an off-putting gas or mm-hmm. a dioxin. Interesting. Um, they've changed it and so that they can be safer. Now I am along the lines of what I call like a preventative, uh, not preventative. What is it called? Um, precautionary. I'm a precautionary principle when it comes to is there a lot of research that shows that these are toxic chemicals in our period products? There is some research. Is it all credible? Is there enough of it? I don't know. Is there research that shows that, you know, toxins are super toxic in our period products? Yes, there is. Is there enough? I don't know. So precautionary principle is basically saying like, well, there's enough research showing both cases. So I'd rather go on the safe side. Um, and that's how I approach period products because yes, there are, possibly dioxins. Yes, there are possibly pesticides. If you know, you're getting cotton tampon or cotton pad that isn't organic. Um, there are possibly chlorine, you know, there's possibility for all of this. So precautionary principle is just, then I'd rather use the alternative. Um, I'm a purist when it comes to these things, but as a consumer, you have the choice like, okay, well, maybe it is safe to use. Like the FDA says it's safe to use. The EU has said it's safe to use. So it would these manufacturers actually create something. And this is something I really want to hone in. Like in my chat with the cosmetic chemist, she was saying, you know, it's not like people are in this lab creating these products and they're like, haha, I'm going to try to poison you. That's not what they're doing. They're trying sincerely trying to create products. If they find something like they did in the nineties where they're like, Oh, this is maybe creating like an off-putting gas. That's not healthy for women. Then let's change the way we create these, whether or not you trust these brands, that is up to you as a consumer. I don't know if I trust brands sometimes. (laughs) To be honest, I don't use always period products. I don't use Kotex products. Um, That doesn't mean they're not safe. It just means that that's my personal choice to go with the safer, what I consider to be safer, more precautionary alternative. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point to think about. The person in the lab is not making the product with the intention of it being harmful, which is really good to think about. But it sounds like if that if this is something you're concerned about, then just do your research and make the decision that you are comfortable with as the consumer because it's your body. So what you want to do with it is your right. choice. That's really how I view it. And, and I'm a huge, um, I'm a huge supporter of organizations like the EWG and Made Safe and, and Safe Cosmetics. And they will all tell you that there are chemicals in your feminine hygiene products. If you dig deeper and you look at what always, always does 
they, you can go onto their website and they'll tell you all the ingredients. Of course, there are plastics. How are those plastics responding to my body? I don't know. I prefer not to find out, you know, that's my approach. Um, but I don't want to bash them. I, I, I really want, you know, to be able to, for people to come together and to hear both sides. I recently embarked or started embarking on this sustainable period journey, and I am personally trying out reusable pads right now, but I wanted to ask you, what are the alternatives that we can use for our periods other than the typical plastic products that are mostly in the stores? I know there's the period cup, reusable pads, and the period underwear. So can you talk about those options and maybe your own personal experiences with those? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if you could just go to your local grocery store and they would have period underwears? It would definitely make it more accessible. Right. And you didn't have to order it online or you, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? So I am a huge fan of period underwears. That is I love them. I've had no issues with them. There are a few different brands. There's things, there's Mighty body. There's so many new brands are coming out and it's just awesome because if you are worried about, you know, conventional products, like always and Kotex not being, you know, um, chemical, chemical free, that's, that's the wrong way of looking at it because chemicals are in everything. So water Mm -hmm. has chemicals, you know, so that's not the right way of looking at it. But if you're concerned about dioxins and pesticides, then using period underwears, some people will say, and I know if you're listening to this, some people will say, well, Thinks underwear has like, you know, certain chemical being used in it. They've done research on it said like, okay, well, the chemical, which I don't know off the top of my head, that is emitted from this to help with absorbencies, it's fine. Mighty Body created one without this. So if you want an alternative, you know, um, you can go ahead and do that as well. So, but yeah, period underwears, um, the menstrual cup, and you said reusable pads. Reusable pads is my second favorite. Um, and I use those. The thing I will say about menstrual pads is they're hard to use if you're traveling. Um, like if you're in an airplane and you need to change your pad and then you have to carry your, to me, I find that a little like, Oh, I don't really want to like fold up my pad and have my pad with me for the next 12 hours until I get to the hotel. So in cases like that, to be honest, I do use, um, disposable I'll use or or organic disposable. Um, you can also use a period cup if that's, you know, to your, what you want to do. Um, if you're comfortable with that. I, as I mentioned in my episode, did try the period cup. I need to find a different size. My experience was quite um, ridiculous uh, where, (laughs) where it's just, it got stuck. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, how do I get this thing out? And I was like, I was sitting on the toilet researching how to remove a menstrual cup. Oh my god! This is so embarrassing. Like I was so embarrassed for myself. I was like, "This is so dumb." Like no one, I knew there was like a learning curve, but I didn't realize like this is what it would come to. Um, so, so if you're going to use a cup, just prepare yourself that you have to find one that fits. You have to find one that is comfortable for you, um, and find a brand that you you want to support. But I, I actually think the period cup. I'll give it a shot again because, like again, like if you're traveling for 12 hours and you need to change it out, you can easily, from what I've read, just wipe it down and then reinsert it. Um, I personally would probably, again, though I'm like a weirdo about germs, uh, I personally would probably not just. I, I like to rinse things off and clean them and disinfect yeah. them using them. So again, when I travel, I do use um, disposable. Yeah, so I recently started using reusable pads and they've been okay for me, if I'm being honest. I don't know which brand I got, but I find that 
you have to wear very wide crotch underwear for it to stay put. So it's fine during the day when I'm working, but if I'm exercising, I find it to be a little challenging to use. So I think the period underwear are going to be my next step in my sustainability journey around my periods. Yeah, I will say period um, reusable pads. It does take a little bit of getting used to. I don't mind them, but I have a smaller brand. I had used Glad Rags. Um, so yeah, but you do. And I think that's, what's annoying with these things. If you annoying is a strong word, but, and then it can be a little bit of an inconvenience to find what works for you. And these things aren't cheap, you know, like if you're going to spend money on a period underwear, you want to make sure it works. You want to make sure it doesn't leak. You want to make sure it fits you. Same for your reusable pad. My menstrual cup was like $25, $30. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go and buy a new one right now. So that's, that's to me, like where I understand if people don't use reusable period products, I would absolutely support and recommend they do because it's so much better for the environment. And it's just so much more, in my opinion, more natural. I'm kind of a purist about these things. Um, but I also understand why someone may not want to use a, a, a cup, a menstrual cup or a reusable pad. This is another reason I feel like it's helpful that we're having these conversations and trying to break the stigma around these topics because talk to your friends about what they've been using and reach out to people who you know have used these products and see what's worked for them and what hasn't worked for them. And I think that would be really helpful in finding what's going to work for you best. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but the average woman doesn't know how long, if she has a long or short cervix. And you need to know if you have a long or short cervix when you're going to get a menstrual cup, which I didn't know. So I just got a whatever. And I'm like, oh, I may need a longer one because that got sucked real fast. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the stuff like women, like we just don't really think about or talk about. And that's what I'm talking about. Like as women, we need to be so much more aware of what's happening and how our bodies work. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say to a listener who is maybe hesitant to try these products or even just thinks it's gross to use reusable products? I know that's something I hear from people often as kind of the major complaint around using sustainable period products. Well, periods, you're going to be dealing like, let's just say it, okay? You're going to be dealing with blood, whether used reusable or not. Like if you use disposable, you're still going to have your tampon that needs to be disposed of and your pad that needs to be disposed of. And, you know, it's just part of, it's just part of who we are as women as we bleed. Um, Wow. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but that is the reality is like women, we bleed. So if you think that's gross, I understand. And maybe you have a mental hurdle to get over that. The thing is I've found with reusable pads and reusable underwears, um, it's really not that bad. Um, If you have like a heavy flow day and you feel more comfortable using a disposable, fine, absolutely fine. But really all you have to do is with a reusable pad or reusable underwear, just personally, I just soak it in cold water for a little bit, wring it a few times. And it's, it's really super simple and really not that gross. Once you get over the fact that you're like, saying because you do have to let the water run clear before you know put in the in the washer um so I think if you can get over that in your head like that like you're seeing what your body is disposing of yeah um then you're okay 
Um, and honestly, I'll say that the, my period underwears are so comfortable to sleep in at night, like just so comfy, super comfy to work out. in. if you have a heavy flow, I don't really like wearing um, my underwears. Like when I'm running, for instance, mm-hmm. I prefer using a reusable pad in that case. Um, but just if you're new to this and you're like, that is just disgusting. I understand. I went through it. And then once I realized like, regardless, I'm seeing blood one way or the other, like that's just part of being a woman, like own that shit, man. You know, or woman, I should be like, own it. Like that's who we are as women. And, um, you just save so much waste by not, you know, the average woman's going to menstruate for, you know, I think the average person uses five to 15,000 period products throughout her lifetime, five to 15,000. Like that's, can you think about yeah, that? Yeah, that's wild when you really think about over time, how much waste you're going to be generating. Yeah. And obviously it's not our choice to have a period, but yeah. we're going to have to deal with it. So might yeah. as well try and make it more sustainable. And when you were saying that, it made me think of, even for someone who's new, if you buy one reusable pad and use it on your lightest flow day, just to try it out, even if you just make one simple switch or just kind of ease yourself into it, I think that makes a difference as well. Absolutely. And I think everything like I'm huge. Like I, I have three sisters and we're all on different, like, if you want like eco-friendly journeys and every little step, every little step you take to, to try to change something is awesome. And, and it makes a difference whether you like it or not. That is again, like your personal choice. I'm not, no one should force you to use like a reusable (laughs) product. Okay. (laughs) Do what feels best for you, but just know that, yeah, when you do use disposables, you're going to be creating a lot of waste. And again, going back to, are there toxic chemicals in it? Maybe there are, maybe they're not, you know, you make that decision again, goes back to making that decision. So in this conversation, I will say there is a lot of privilege in being able to use these products. And you mentioned in your blog post how a lot of women deal with period poverty and how a lot of these alternative period product brands are trying to work to combat period poverty. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important conversation to have. Can you tell us a little bit about what period poverty is for listeners who have never heard of that and what these brands are doing to try and combat that. Yeah, I am no expert on period poverty, but I will say, just think of it this way. If you had to choose, okay, a lot of women are in this situation. If you had to choose between eating lunch or getting a feminine hygiene product, a pad or tampon, and you had to make that decision, my guess is you're going to choose lunch, right? So that's period poverty in the US or in in Western countries where women are homeless. And, you know, and I, to be honest, I never really thought like when I see someone on the street, like, oh, what are they doing for their period? I never really gave that thought. But the reality is a lot of them just don't have access to these menstrual hygiene products. They're expensive. An average box of like 30 is like $7.99 when you're homeless and you can barely afford to eat. $7.99 is a lot every month. Like that's a lot. So a lot of women just from what some of the things that I read, they just were, were, will wear sweatshirts around their waist. Mm. Um, So you have a lot of organizations that are trying to provide these products and homeless shelters. I don't, I, again, I'm not the expert. I, I don't know what the rate is for percentage for homeless shelters that donate these products, but it's a big thing. And like you go to your homeless shelter to get these products so that you can feel like a decent, like hygienic, you know, you're not just bleeding everywhere and, yeah. and just feeling gross. Yeah. Everyone um, deserves that. 
Exactly. And so that's on like the Western, but then you, you think of third world countries and this is where I, I want to say like, it is such a privilege to be able to say like, oh, I'm going to use zero waste period products because mm-hmm. someone in a third world country, for instance, may not have access to clean water. So maybe they use disposable, I mean, reusable like rags. And so, yeah, great sustainably, but if they're going to be cleaning that in, in water, that's just not clean that's just going to cause infections and that's going to cause disease. And, 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 and when it comes to, to like menstrual hygiene, that's a huge one in those countries. Um, so yeah, I'm all about giving these women who don't have access to clean water and, and, you know, um, medicine and all of that stuff, giving them disposable pads. That is not an argument I make. Um, so you mentioned about what some of the brands do, and that's one of the reasons I love a lot of these brands. Um, And it also goes to period poverty, educating women around the fact that like, oh, did you know you could use this? Or, oh, did you know, like, let's, let's educate you around this taboo, quote unquote topic. Um, So a lot of these brands, and I list a few on my website, um, you know, Cora, the Cora, even Diva Cup and, you know, um, what else? Most of them actually, almost all the brands, Salt. Um, have some program of some sort, whether it's helping women in Western countries have access to products because they're homeless or don't have enough money, or helping women in developing countries have access to disposables because they don't have access to clean water or, or what is it you, or what may happen or what have you. Well, that is such a great aspect of these brands and you're already making a sustainable switch and you're helping someone at the same time. So what an amazing way to really try and incorporate sustainability into your life. I have really enjoyed this conversation and I want everyone to go and listen to your full episode and check out your podcast. So where can listeners find you and follow along with the Wise Consumer and listen to your podcast? Yeah, so the Wise Consumer is, um, you can find me online at thewiseconsumer.com, on Instagram at thewiseconsumer. Those are my two main things. Um, and podcasts anywhere where you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all of the above. Great. Well, everyone go check that out. And for the last question, I ask all of my guests what they are hopeful about. So I wanted to ask you, what are your hopes for this new year or what are you currently hopeful about? I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful for, uh, people coming together and listening to each other. That's something I really want in this year. Um, I think, you know, just as we talked about today and I've had with some of my other guests on my podcast, it's just nothing is black or white in anything. And I think finding the common ground, the common medium and being able to listen to each other, like actively listen is something I'm hopeful for. Yes, here's to active listening in 2021. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for being here today. This was one of my favorite conversations I think I've had on the podcast. So I really hope that everyone can learn a little bit more about how they can incorporate sustainability into just another aspect of their lives. Thank you, Jacob. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.